Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, friends and family. How are we? Oh, man, wasn't that an incredible set list start to our Sunday? Whew. Uh, what, a, what an amazing team we have. I'm grateful. So we are finishing this morning our June message series, which is entitled Summer Break. As we've mentioned for over the last several weeks, the idea of this series is to help us look at some inaccurate and or incomplete theology. And so we've talked about several things throughout the course of this uh, message series, and I will talk really briefly about what we used last week because it directly moves into where we are today. Last week, we talked about perfect people and how there is this misconception in the world that people who go to church are perfect or at least consider themselves so. And uh, it was really interesting on Wednesday, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this thing right. On Wednesday, I had an opportunity to facilitate the Bibles and Brunch for our HSM students uh, because Brent was with, uh, he was breaking an arm and a leg and everything else there at, uh, uh, at Camp Kid Jam. Anyway, uh, his legs are fine. Um, this thing is twisted, I'm sorry about that. Okay, so anyway, so I had an opportunity to do that. And this came up, this topic came up about how people who view people who go to church, so unchurched people who view people who go to church, think of themselves, or they think that they think of themselves as self-righteous. Does that make sense? Okay, Jimmy's saying yes. So Jimmy says yes, I'm, you're with me, right? So people outside of the church tend to think people who are inside the church think they are perfect, right? And so the whole idea of last week's message wasn't that we are perfect, but that we recognize we are perfectly imperfect. And as a result of that, when we invite Christ into our lives, what Jesus does is he comes and he covers our imperfections with his perfection. He covers our weaknesses with his strength. And therefore, when we allow Christ to work and to move in our lives, he makes our imperfections perfect in his glory. Not so that we are perfect to the point we never make mistakes, we look down on other people, but we recognize that we are only able to do what we do by the love and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Right? So that, to me, is one of the most important things that we can think about when we move forward into our closing message topic for this series, which is do not judge. Do not judge. Now, this comes specifically, we'll read in a few moments, from Jesus' statement in the Sermon on the Mount where he said, Judge not, lest ye be judged yourselves. This is probably one of the most quoted but misquoted statements of Jesus. And so if you have not yet pulled out your uh, follow-along notes, whether you're getting them through the Hope Church Plus app, the inserts in the info guide. If you're worshiping with us online, I put links in there. If you're on the YouTube link, I uh, accidentally put last week's message in, but the new one should be fixed in there too. So uh, you should be able to find them. They're always available at placeofhope.org uh, in the um, Hope Plus section. 
But we're going to be talking this morning about judgment. And you see there it says maybe the most misquoted and misunderstood teaching of Jesus. And the reason is, is we tend to see this first used by people saying someone else does not have the right to call me wrong. Right? So when we do something that we feel we could be judged for, we may be inclined to say, do not judge. In other words, don't tell me that you think I'm wrong. And so judgment is one of these things that people presume, who are not part of the Christian faith, believe that uh, judgment is absolutely critically important uh, to the way that people who follow Jesus live their lives, whereas people who are in Christ should recognize, oh my gosh, none of us want to be judged, right? And so I can't do anything apart from the power and the mercy of God's love in my life. So it's not that Jesus is saying, don't judge people. He's recognizing that all of us have judgment in our lives in some way, shape, form, or another, right? Maybe he could use the word discernment. But what he's trying to get us to do is to be careful about how we approach judgment. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit today. But uh, before we move into the scripture passage, I want us to think about three basic reasons, right? Kind of covering this as an umbrella. Three basic reasons why it is a problem for us to judge with our human faculties. The first does, the first is, is we never know the full story, right? When we make judgments, we are only making them based on snapshots, right? It's kind of like when you were, uh, back in the day, I noticed in Polaroid cameras that made a way back. Uh, you know, you take a little Polaroid, you shake it, shake it, shake it like a Polaroid. So you shake your Polaroid picture. Uh, there's a song about that somewhere, I forget. But anyway, uh, but it's the difference in a Polaroid, which is a snapshot in time, that we have to shake in order to develop it, versus like watching a motion picture. You can see all the background dynamics. You can see the things happening and see things happening all over. And so when we recognize that we never have the full story, that becomes problematic for us when we look at judging others. The other thing is, is that we all have what's known as implicit biases. There are things about us based on our experience, our preconceived notions about the world. There are ways that we are going to judge, see, interpret, understand things based on how it is that we have experienced the world. And the problem with that is, we go back to, I think it was the first message in this series, is we talk about how, like I'm just saying for Mark, I've never known the world without me in it, right? And so, and the same is true for you, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. You, you can hear stories, you can watch movies and documentaries and read books about things that happened before you were here in the world, but you never truly know what the world was like without you in it. And so we bring these preconceived notions, these implicit biases into our experience and interpretation of the world. And so that makes us very poor judges. And the third one is no one is good enough. No one is good enough to judge another. No one is good enough. And this is why we come back at this point to last week's message about imperfect perfection. The only person who is good enough to judge is Jesus. And as we see from the story where the religious elite caught the woman who was caught in adultery, and they took her to Jesus, and they wanted him to be able to pronounce some type of judgment on her. Remember how, how Jesus responded? He said, the one of you who is without sin, you cast the first stone. What Jesus was doing there was setting up this power structure where he's saying, all of you who think you can pass judgment on somebody else, if you are sinless, then I will give you the permission to throw the first stone. There was one person in that group who had the power to judge, and who was it? 
Jesus, that's right. And then how did Jesus respond to that? Well, he didn't throw the stone. Now, what he did say was go and sin no more, right? Go and sin no more. Work toward becoming perfected in love, like we talked about last week. Work on allowing and inviting and encouraging my strength, I'm about Jesus' strength, to come and to overwhelm your weaknesses, to come and weld and meld God's power over the problems and the struggles that we have. And so when we think about judgment, just real quickly, those three, those three points. I didn't put them on the screen this morning, um, but they are, we never know the full story. We've got to be careful when we judge. We all bring implicit biases and preconceived notions about how we think the world should go. And the third one is no one is good enough, right? No one is good enough. Only Jesus is good enough. And then Jesus is far more concerned with pouring his love and his mercy out on us to weld and meld the love of God into our problems than he is condemning. And unfortunately, the world oftentimes sees people who follow Jesus as the exact opposite. They think that we know everything. Well, they think that we think that we know everything. They think that we think that we are immune to any type of implicit bias. And they think that we think that we are good enough to pass and cast judgment on somebody else. And so when you think about these problems with human judgment, I want you to be mindful of those ideas and those aspects as we move into the next part of our talk, which comes from our scripture lesson, which comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. The words are going to be on the screen. And this is where we see Jesus. This is bringing the Sermon of the Mount to the, uh, kind of to the close. He says, do not judge others so that God will not judge you, for God will judge you in the same way you judge others. And he will apply to you the same rules you apply to others. Why then do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? How dare you say to your brother, please let me take that speck out of your eye when you have a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. They will only turn and attack you. Do not throw your pearls in front of pigs. They will only trample them underfoot. This is the word of God for God's people. Let's give thanks to God, amen? All right, so there's a lot here. We're going to try to do this in the three hours that we have together before we move into our church conference. <laughs> three quick takeaways. These are, going to, these are going to be on the screen and in your notes. The first is what Jesus wants us to realize is that not all actions are equally moral. Not all actions are equally moral. Now, when we think about God looking at sin and judging sin and using discernment, God sees sin as a blanket problem, right? So that when you violate one part of his law, you violated the entire thing. This gets back into that monopoly uh, metaphor that I've used in the past, where uh, when you violate the law, so you go straight to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Not all actions are equally moral, but God looks at sin in a blanket term. The second point is truth is objective and inseparable from God's character. Now, this is one of the ideas about following Jesus that does run in direct contradiction to the way that the world in our postmodern, post-Christian uh, mindset sees things. It says, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, right? Truth is relative. This is not what Jesus says. Truth is objective. Truth is eternal. And truth is inseparable from God's 
character. One of the reasons that we see this is in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus actually identifies himself as what? Say truth. Truth, that's exactly right. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to God the Father but by me. And so when we feel these tensions in our world and in our society and in our culture that wants to try to impress upon us the idea that truth is relative, that you can have your truth and I can have my truth as long as our truth doesn't bump into each other's truth, well, then we're okay. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying truth is objective and it is inseparable from God's character. And then when we use discernment and we recognize calling sin is sin, that is actually agreeing with God. Now, one of the things that we want to try to do when we are rationalizing or reconciling our own bent toward sinfulness is that we try to make sin a net good. Listen to me about this, right? We want to make sin a net good. Now, I didn't say a gross good. It is gross, but a different way, right? What we're talking about is when you were to sit there with your ledger and you were to subtract and divide and add and multiply everything else, that at the end, you have more good than bad out of sin. Let me give you an example. This is an example out of my life, right? I tend to be a worrier. I tend to be wound a little tightly. I know that comes as a shock to most everybody in the room, right? Just look at me. I mean, my body language says it all, right? So I could stand up here on the stage this morning or sit on the platform and say, you know what, folks? Worry is a net good. I know that Jesus says that we shall not worry. I know that worry is a sin because it practices practical atheism. But worry means that I've got enough mindset and mentality to be able to reconcile and judge the world and understand the world based on a certain set of principles. And then so when I subtract everything that's bad from everything that's good, my worry is a net good. Therefore, I am going to continue to worry because that means that I am in God's favor. Friends, that is heresy. Another example is, is that left to my own devices, I can be a little bit of a glutton or a lot of a glutton. Some of you who have not known me more than you know, last year or so, I lost 50-something pounds. And it is hard to keep it off. Like yesterday when I encountered chocolate-dipped pretzel sticks and cupcakes, and then Tiffany scrapes the top level of the cupcake icing off, and I'm dipping the pretzel stick in the icing and then eating it. I mean, I could have finished it all. I was a glutton. And it would be easy for me to say, well... Gluttony is really just participating in the blessings of God. God has rewarded me with all of these wonderful benefits and blessings. And therefore, yes, I may eat an extra cupcake and I may eat a few extra pretzel sticks, but ultimately I'm celebrating all the goodness of God. Therefore, my gluttony isn't that good. There's a reason the scripture says God will not be mocked. God knows our propensity to do these things, we reconcile and, and try to justify our own bent toward sinning. When we call a sin a sin, beginning with understanding the, the log in our eye, what we are doing is we say, you know what, God, I recognize that my bent toward eating all of the cupcakes and pretzel sticks is not good for me. Forgive me, even when I intentionally do so. Lord, I know that I do get wrapped up and wound up about the things going on in my life and in the church and in the world, and, and, and I can worry about these things. And I want to believe, Lord God, that you are good and that you are in charge, but my goodness, if you would just 
consult me on some of these things. Things might go a little bit better, right? You see the struggle here, the tension? I could go on and on. We've got to remember that in our perfect imperfections, God does not want us to try to rationalize or reconcile or justify our own bent towards sinning. We would say even the things that are wrong in our lives and they're bad in our lives are net good because, well, they just are because I want them to be. This brings us to the next part, which is we're talking about two ways to judge badly. When I was doing some of my research and I was uh, writing down my notes and things, I had maybe six or eight different categories about ways that we can judge badly, and I wanted to uh, summarize them with two. Summarize them with two. The first is selective judgment. Selective judgment is where we put our own preferences and appearances or hang-ups as the standard by which we judge. John chapter 7 verse 24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So when we see judgment being cast, and it is based more on preferences, appearances, or hang-ups, then that can create within us a sense of injustice that is connected to judgment. For example, it's the person that gets in trouble for doing one thing when you have two or three other people right beside them doing the exact same thing, but they're not getting in trouble. In fact, they're being celebrated. I don't know if you're watching the news right now, but maybe there's some stories about that. I've also seen it when, uh, when I have friends who get pulled over for driving too fast on the interstate. They'll say, well, I wasn't the only one driving too fast, but you're the one that got caught. We experience that injustice that comes from judging based on our idea of appearances, hang-ups, and preferences. We can be selective in our judgment when we want to forgive certain people or places or things for doing wrong things when it doesn't mesh up with our own preference of the way that things should go how we think things should look, or our own personal hang-ups. This leads us to our second way that we can judge badly, which comes to self-righteous judgment. This is ranking sinful behaviors so we can feel better about ourselves while condemning others. Jesus talked about this when he was talking to the Pharisees, or talking about the Pharisees. He talked about how he told a story about this Pharisee. He goes into the temple to pray, and there he's with a tax collector. We talked about Matthew last week, tax collector, right? Their own category of sinfulness. And the Pharisee looks over at the tax collector and says, Dear God, thank you for not making me like him. Right? And then the tax collector starts beating his chest and says, Dear Lord, forgive me, a sinner that I am. Jesus says the one who was more in God's will was the one who was willing to grieve your sinfulness not the ones who are self-righteously looking down on others. This is specifically what we read in the third verse of today's passage. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own? We all have those things in our life where we fall short of God's glory, and we rank these sinful behaviors so that we can feel better about ourselves while we condemn others. One of the things that we see that plays in this, that goes back to the last or the first point, is the visibility of things, right? The visibility of things. 
For those whose bigger sin problems and dilemmas are not visual, it is a whole lot easier for those individuals to walk around in a self-righteous judging fashion, right? Well, thank goodness it's not as obvious to the world what my problems are, my hang-ups are, my preferences are. Thank goodness I don't have those issues. It sure would be a lot harder if they were visible for everyone to see. Harder for me to hide them, hold on to them. I remember one time when and it was dealing with the grief after the death of Mia, where I was so just wrapped up in my own ball of grief and angst. And it just seemed to get smaller and tighter every single day. And I've talked about in the past how I've gone and I've seen a Christian counselor, and I still see this Christian counselor, but every other month to help me deal with my own propensity to be nervous and anxious and, and kind of crazy. And I remember sitting in her office and saying something to the effect of, you know, I wish that the pain that I carried was more visible so that people could offer me a little bit more sympathy without me having to just put it all out there. I was kind of joking with Brent about that earlier because I had another issue where I broke my arm a couple years ago and, and I wore the sling even longer than I needed to to let everybody know, hey, don't touch me here, right? Don't mess with this. Because the pain was inside. The pain was not visible. And there are times when we have that pain or we have the, the stuff that's weighing us down that we know is outside of God's will where we would really prefer it stay hidden. The problem with that is, is that we can flip and slip into those ways we judge badly where we are selective or we're self-righteous in our judgment. And that's not good. Because what happens when we are self-righteous or we are selective in our judgment of other people is we tend to play God, don't we? We tend to play God. Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite. Jesus commanded us to not be Hypocrite. Hypocrite, that word, is a Greek thespian stage term that means an actor playing a role and in some ways taking creative license with it. That's a hypocrite. And so when Jesus was saying, don't be a hypocrite, what he was telling those who were listening to his Sermon on the Mount was, don't go play in God. Don't pretend that you are perfect and free from sin and free from error and free from mistake and free from pain and free from grief and free from anxiety and free from all the things that you want to tally up at the end of the day and call them a net good. Don't pretend you are free from those because we all stand in need of God's grace. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't play God because when you do, bad things are happening. You're playing God. Your inaccurate and incomplete judgment helps to remove the holiness in you more so than it does projecting a lack of holiness on someone else. You see, this is the point that Jesus is making when he's talking about the logs that we have in our eyes versus the splendors that are drawing our concern in the eyes of our brothers and our sisters. And so we've got to learn how to keep holiness. To keep holiness as the core and the center of who we are. Not being holier than thou, but just being holy. 
right? The scripture tells us, be holy because your God in heaven is holy. That's God's desire for us. It is impossible for us, apart from the love of Jesus that comes to weld and meld God's grace into our weaknesses and our imperfections. It is impossible for us to achieve holiness apart from Jesus. And we start casting judgment on other people and playing God's role. Well, we are denying the holiness of another and we are restricting the holiness in ourselves. Holiness means to be set apart. And in our hypocrisy, it comes back to bite us. Jesus' reference to the dog. The dog attacks those who judge. Jesus has given an example here about what happens when we do not approach people who are cornered or feel threatened or feel judged. It has a tendency to come back and bite them, like the dog. The story I told a few months ago when Tiffany and I were out walking and our neighbor had a pit bull and she was just going on about how sweet it was and I reached out to pet it and it bit me. I knew better, but I just assumed that it wouldn't bite me. We do that, don't we? We know better, and yet if we're not careful, what ends up happening is our judgment, our hypocrisy, it comes back and it bites us. And no one likes to be bitten. The other thing is, the third point of this is we hurt our witness in God's kingdom. This is the reference that Jesus made talking about pigs trampling pearls. Now pigs in the time of Christ, and going back well into the Old Testament, were unclean animals. They were unclean animals based primarily on where they like to play and what they like to eat, which is like everywhere and everything, right? So pigs were considered to be unclean animals. Now, thank goodness we live beyond that because I love bacon and sausage and barbecue. It's a food group, right? It's a food group. But what Jesus was talking about was how pigs are unclean, but the operative aspect here isn't on the pig, is it? It's the pearl. You remember the story that Jesus taught? It was a little short parable. And he compared the kingdom of God to what? A pearl of great price. A pearl of great price. Jesus referred to the kingdom of heaven as a, a pearl of great price. That when someone found it, that person went and sold everything that they had in order to be able to Get that pearl of great price. When we are more concerned with judging and playing God, what ends up happening is we throw the kingdom of God into an area that is unclean and it gets trampled and hidden, damaged if not destroyed. Now Jesus isn't talking about the kingdom of God in general because Friends, we're not that powerful. But he's talking about the kingdom of God in our midst. How often have we been guilty of being the hypocrite that plays God and casts judgment on other people when we ourselves have all the worries and struggles and troubles in the world that we can deal with where our hypocrisy and our judgment comes back to bite us and we end up throwing our notes onto the floor, right? But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> thank you, Tammy. But... What it ends up doing is it damages the, our experience and our understanding of the kingdom of God. So what are we to do? Jesus isn't telling us to not 
use discernment, when we experience right and wrong, we know what right and wrong are. Jesus isn't telling us to not use discernment in that way. But what Jesus is telling us to do is to be extremely careful about how it is that we project our own discernment onto other people. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, uh, we, we see these words. My friends, if someone is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, those of you who are spiritual should set him right. But you must do it in a gentle way. And keep an eye on yourselves so that you will not be tempted to help carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will obey the law of Christ. What Jesus is saying here is that we, as followers of Jesus, who are called to be holy and to keep God's commandments, which first of all is to love, right? But when we keep this in our mindset, we are to use discernment in our own lives. If we see someone whom we love and who we, who we cherish, and that should be the whole world, right? We see someone who's heading down a bad path. It's not that we're supposed to pass judgment on them and say, unclean, unclean, turn or burn, sinner. But we are to be different, to be set apart. And we get these four words from Galatians about how we are to be. We are to be gentle and take care of approaching others. We are to be mindful of our own problems, our own sinfulness, our own reasons ourselves to be cast into the pit of hell. We are to be loving because nobody likes correction. Nobody. And we are to be obedient, always seeking to do God's will. And what is God's will? What is God's law? It's to love. It's to set aside the things that we hold on to and we cherish, the things that we treasure, so that we can show people that we treasure them more and that we can reveal to God and continue to learn and grow and mature about how God is cherishing us and calling us to become more like Jesus. And so this gets to the, you know, the, the friction point, so to speak, the fulcrum, the leverage about how it is that God wants us to approach judgment in the world. He's not saying to go all willy-nilly and anything goes, you do you, I do me, your truth, my truth. He's saying to acknowledge the truth, to know who is the truth, whose will it is that we are called to go in the way that we are called to follow. It's not ours. It's God's. Set forth and given the example for us in Jesus Christ. And when given the opportunity for Jesus to condemn and to cast judgment, he didn't do it on people who needed his help. He did it to those who didn't think that they did. Jesus was far harsher on the religious elite who thought that it was their job to pass judgment on other people than he was on the people who were truly broken and in need of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. And so if we take our judgment or discernment to a point of view, we recognize, I've got problems in my life. I've got to be gentle with people. We are all broken. 
And sometimes we're just one little nudge away from shattering our own sense and understanding of the kingdom of God. We've got to be mindful of the problems that we have. We've got to love people, recognizing that we are all broken and fallen short of God's glory. But we are obedient. We are called to be obedient to connecting with other people and to help them grow to be more like Jesus too. And so as we bring this summer break series to a close, talking about inaccurate or incomplete theology, I can't think of a better way to close it than with a a talk and a topic about not judging others. Because Jesus' point is to help us to be mindful of our own propensity to get it wrong when it's looking at our own sinfulness or the way that we look at others. We've got to be careful that we are not falling victim to playing God and being the hypocrite that he cautioned us against, but that we are seeking to be holy, not out of some misplaced sense of self-righteousness, but because God is holy, because God is perfect, because God loves us and wants us to strive to be more like his son and our Savior Jesus. And so may we, as God's people, on days like today, be gentle, and mindful, loving, and obedient. Will you pray with me, please? Living and loving God, I take a deep breath, cleansing breath, and I pray that we all do as well. Lord, the whole idea of breath that goes back to Genesis and creation talks about the power of your spirit and how your spirit swept across the waters to bring forth life. And then in chapter 2, after you formed Adam from the dust, you you breathed your breath into his life to bring forth life. Lord, forgive us for the times when we use our breath to do things other than bring life when we do things like casting judgment, being hypocrites, opening ourselves up to places and times where we can be bitten by our own hypocrisy and we end up trampling and damaging, if not destroying our understanding and presence in the kingdom of heaven. And so Lord, forgive us all as we sit here in this holy space today. And I don't mean just this room on Charles Hardy Parkway, but I mean our place in your heavenly and holy kingdom. Lord, thank you for not judging us with the ruthlessness that we tend to want to judge others, but with the relentless love and grace and mercy that is also balanced by your holy and eternal justice. I pray, holy God, that we may feel your mercy surging through our life, that we may seek to be merciful for the world around us. And so, Lord God, help us to be mindful of those areas where we are prone to be judged, to be gentle in our discernment of others. Help us to be loving and to always be obedient. For, Lord, our mission here at Hope Church is to introduce people to Jesus and to fuel their love for you And I know, Lord God, that if we aren't careful, we hurt our our ability to do that 
and make it almost impossible for anyone else to hear the goodness that could come from our lips. And so, Lord God, I pray for your breath to breathe life into all of us here today, into this gathering, into this church, into our call to ministry here in Paulding County and around the world. So bless us and keep us, Lord God. Your grace was scandalous back then just as it is today. It tells people as wretched and as rotten as folks like us that you love us, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, imperfect though we may be. So may your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy and your justice weld and meld your character and presence into our lives that we may truly reflect who you are in this world beginning right here in our own backyard. For it is the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus I lift this prayer. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.